Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Okay, so we we had a little bit of a freebie week last week because we had the, the football team from the local college coming through here for lunch, and so we um, we watched the video last week. But we're going to continue this week in our series on Hosea. But the weird thing is about today is we're not actually going to read from Hosea. We're going to read from somewhere else. But um, I do want to just uh, recap a few things for you. So someone... Uh, just kind of shout this out, but give me a quick summary of Hosea. Just someone to kind of shout, just what are some things you know about Hosea at this point? Quick review. What can you think of? All right, a prophet marries a prostitute. Now, we did discover that the prostitute deal wasn't all that accurate. She was more like a promiscuous woman, right, when he married her. Um, not so much necessarily a prostitute. But, um, yes, he married a woman who he knew was going to cheat on him. What else do you know about Hosea at this point? Tough love, all right? Okay, um, the, the point of, of Hosea being asked by God or being told by God to marry someone like this was um, to paint a picture of what Israel was doing to God. So um, Hosea is a prophet. He is told by God. God says, commands him to go marry a promiscuous woman so that, the Israelites can see firsthand what they've been doing to God, which is cheating on him, committing spiritual adultery, right? And so that's a summary of Hosea. Um, the whole point of it was to point out Israel's idolatry. So what I wanted to do when I thought about this series is um, the book of Hosea is actually a really hard book to teach once you get past chapter 3 um, because the rest of it's like just a lot of poetry I know the guys in the room in here, I know you love poetry, but um, so it's a lot of poetry and it's, it's a lot of venting that Hosea goes, there's not a whole lot of, it's not very systematic once you get past chapter three. So we're going to come back to Hosea a little bit later on in the series, but I wanted to spend um, several weeks with you in the middle of the series on Hosea, just talking about idolatry and, and what it looks like in our lives, what it looks like in our culture. And so I'm, I'm sort of using as a backdrop this book by a guy named Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. And so today is kind of the introduction for idolatry and what it looks like in our lives. So we're going to talk about um, the idol of, of love next week. And so make sure you're here for that one. Uh, we might even spend two weeks, maybe have a week for the guys, one for the girls. We'll see how this goes. But, um, but today is kind of an introduction to uh, this idea on, a, on idolatry. Now, we talked in the first part of the series, we said that all sin is idolatry. We said that all sin is taking the creation and putting it in the place of the creator, replacing God with what he has made. That's what every sin is. So if you think of, now you might think to yourself, okay, how is every sin idolatry? I'll give you an example. So if you steal from someone, right, whatever you are stealing from them, that thing, you first coveted that thing, you wanted that thing, and so you, you basically put something, a thing, a material thing, in place of God, and so instead of obeying God, you disobeyed God, put the creation in place of the creator, and you went after that thing, and you stole that thing, whatever that thing is. So every sin, you can point it back to idolatry. Now, all sin is not just idolatry, but all sin is also spiritual adultery. Now, everyone in the room would agree that, that cheating on someone, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you, you don't cheat on them. 
I mean, even the guy or girl that does that knows that it's wrong. That's why they cover things up. That's why they lie about it. That's why they tell secrets. That's why they know it's wrong, and they might still do it, but they still know that it's wrong. So all sin is, is spiritual adultery. All sin is, is basically us cheating on God, turning our back on God, and all sin um, is, is like that. And so when, when you think about idolatry, though, in our culture, you don't have to look very far to see idolatry play out in our culture. One of the things that I came across last week was um, this new football stadium up in a place called Allen, Texas. Go ahead to, the, to my next slide here. Uh, this is a brand new football stadium in Allen, which is north of Dallas. And uh, have you guys heard about this story? Do you know how much this thing cost? Anyone know how much this stadium was? $60 million, all right? And uh, you can't really get a full view of this thing. So go to the next slide. And this is the other side of the stadium. And this is a high school stadium. It sees 18,000 people. And they have 700 people in their school band. 700 people are in their school band, right? So, so let me just show you. And, and there's an article in ESPN about this, this school. And they had this, uh, this big approval of all this money to spend on the stadium. And um, they said, we know that we're never going to get all this money back. But this is just an extreme source of pride for our community. And I'm going, is there any better example of idolatry than that, right? Now, let me, uh, don't get me wrong here. I love sports. I played sports. Um, if anyone idolizes football, it's me. And if you know me, you know this to be true about me, right? I mean, the DVR is set at 12 p.m. today for me to watch my Redskins and Robert Griffin III, okay? So I'm talking to myself up here, but when it comes to our culture, listen, when it comes to our culture, this is a God for us, right? We find meaning, we find ultimate fulfillment and meaning through these kinds of things, and it's why people spend $60 million on a stadium to watch people your age blow each other up, right? That's what it is. And here's the crazy part, though. As you look at our culture in America, um, we, are, we are blessed financially. We have, we have lots of abundance. We have lots and lots of things. And so you would think that there would be no such thing as depression in our country because we have so much abundance, right? I saw a stat this past week. Guess what the two most depressed nations on earth are? One is the U.S., us. Uh, the second one, guess which the second one is? No, it's not Britain. What did you say? Did you say Japanada? Oh. I'm like, Japanada is not a country. That's Japan and there's Canada, but Japanada, no. And no one, no one said it yet. It's actually France. I have no idea why. France. Oh, you said France? I didn't hear you say France. Sorry. So it's, it's France and the U.S. are the two most depressed countries in the world. They say that 20%, listen, 20%, one out of five people in both of those countries would consider themselves depressed. Now, you might ask, those are two very pretty affluent countries. How is it that they're so depressed? And here's why I think so many are depressed in the U.S., and it's this, because we thought that prosperity would make us happy. We thought that these things would bring us joy and fulfillment, and they didn't, so we're depressed about it. I mean, think about how we label 
McDonald's has the Happy Meal, right? I mean, this is all a kid needs to be happy. Soggy fries, nasty hamburger, small Coke, and a toy that never works, right? This is a Happy Meal. So, so our culture promises, listen, listen, there might not be a culture on the face of the earth in the history of the world that has promised happiness like our culture has. But so many of you know this to be true, that you can have all this stuff, you can be wealthy and super rich and still be depressed. Why? Because you're putting all your hope in that prosperity. That's why I think the U.S. is one of the most depressed countries on the face of the earth. In fact, there's a guy named Alexis uh, de Tocqueville. I can't pronounce his last name. Go to the next slide here. And he, he observed America from a distance and wrote a book about it. In his book, he said this. The incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. So this man saw our country from a distance and made some conclusions. He, he, he saw what Americans are chasing, and many of us are chasing the joys of this world, and he acknowledged that they will never satisfy what your heart, what your heart ultimately longs for. Can't do it. And so when you and I build our life on anything other than Jesus Christ— it leads to depression, it leads to despair, it leads to one out of five people being depressed. This next uh, slide is a quote by Tim Keller, the guy I was mentioning, the book we're kind of basing this on. He says this, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life and identity, then it is an idol. So what, what is your idol? What is the thing, the someone or the something that you are that you find your ultimate meaning and fulfillment in? What is your worst nightmare? What is your absolute worst-case scenario nightmare? Like if this, if this happened to me, I would be so devastated that I could not recover from it. What is your worst nightmare? Because my, my guess would be whatever the answer to that question is, that your idol is somewhere behind that. Like for me, my worst nightmare would be for my family, all three of them, to die in a car accident or to be taken somehow. My worst nightmare. Now, you might say, but Dave, I mean, that's, that's a legitimate nightmare, right? But here's the, here's the reality. I know that's my worst nightmare, and I also know that family can become an idol to me. Even good things can become idols to us. In fact, I would say most of the time, it's the good things that become an idol to you because you're unaware of your idolatry. You and I make excuses like, well, you know, it's, it's not really an idol. I just really like it. Or we're like the guy who says, you know, I could stop smoking if I wanted to. I just don't want to, right? And so these things have a hold of us, and we don't really fully admit that there, there's some idolatry going on. Now, I know when I say the word idol or idolatry, you picture this ancient image of just some people bowing down in some ancient temple worshiping a little fat baby Buddha statue. I know that's what you picture in your minds when I say the word idol or idolatry. And so you start to tune out because you're like, that's, that's ancient. Those are ancient issues. We have real issues today, right? Those are ancient problems. Those are ancient issues. But I want you to look at something very closely. When, when you look at our culture today and the cultures back then, we are not that different. They worshiped a god called Aphrodite. You know, you've heard of mighty, mighty Aphrodite. Aphrodite, the goddess of what? Beauty. 
uh, Ares, the god of war. They, they're teaching you guys stuff in school. This is great. Artemis, the goddess of wealth. Wealth. So there you have it. You've got beauty, power, money. You see, we are not that different from previous cultures. Now, you and I, listen, we may not worship a statue, but we still worship beauty. Do you know how many girls today go walk by the checkout aisle at the store and see the magazines and get depressed about their look? You know how many girls have self-image issues because of what they think guys expect of them? Do you know how many guys are online looking at pornography all the time? We have this addiction and idolatry of beauty in our culture. There is no question. In fact, in ancient times, uh, there were some idols that required child sacrifice. It's hard to believe that. But to appease their gods, the people thought that they had to take their firstborn and sacrifice it to the gods to appease them. Now, that might seem hard to believe, and you might think, how could a culture be so brutal as that? But then you think about our culture. Listen, listen. You think about our culture, abortion. Think of how many people, 50, listen to me, look at me, 50 million babies in our country alone have been aborted since 1973. We still have child sacrifice. It's just done differently. You know, I was looking at some research this past week, and since 1970, there's been 50 million abortions in the U.S. alone, probably over a billion worldwide since the beginning of time. But the number one reason in the U.S. for abortion, guess what it is? It's not what the, po- the politicians will tell you, things like, oh, well, it's underage pregnancy or it's rape or it's incest or it's, um, it's, it's really extreme cases like that. That accounts for about 5%. The rest of it, number one answer, convenience. Just don't want the baby, can't afford it. And so many people make the decision to sacrifice their child, essentially, to the God of convenience, right? Convenience is their idol, their leisure time is their idol, and they make child sacrifices just like they did in ancient times. Our culture is not much different than ancient cultures. So we may not have statues, but we still have idolatry in our culture. In fact, I would say that the only difference might be is that we are not as aware of our idolatry as they may have been back then. So look with me at Romans chapter 1. Turn to Romans chapter 1. And this is, I think, one of the most concise, powerful passages on idolatry in the entire Bible. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. It says, this is Paul writing this. He says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So the first point I want you to see from this passage is that 
Everyone worships someone or something. If you write stuff down, write these next four points down. Everyone worships someone or something. And if you're here this morning and you're kind of a skeptic, you're a cynic, you're sitting there going, I don't really believe in God, I'm not really sure he even exists, you have to at least acknowledge that everyone is at least looking for him. There is something in us that we're created with this desire for something else beyond this earth. I think it's because there actually is something beyond this earth. There is a someone who created all of this that created in us a desire for him. The very person that created you created you with a desire for him. But here's the problem. We all worship other things, other people, other things, other ideas. And so we're created for worship. Everyone worships someone or something. Recently, Lance Armstrong, the cyclist who many years ago, he, he won about seven Tour de France's in a row, and everyone thought, this is amazing. The guy recovered from cancer. Everyone thought this guy was almost dead. Comes back, wins in amazing fashion seven in a row, only to find out now that he was doping all along. Now, why would someone risk their reputation? Why would someone risk everything and, and take drugs to perform better? Same, same is true for the steroid era of baseball, right? Why would people take drugs and do that and risk their reputation, risk, risk the records that they're breaking for that? There's only one answer, and it's idolatry. It's I find every meaning and fulfillment in what I am doing. Therefore, I'll do whatever it takes to be the best so I can win, so I can be king. It's idolatry. We make great sacrifice to our gods, to our idols. The second point I want you to get from this is idolatry occurs when we believe lies about God. Look at what the passage says. It says they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Idolatry occurs when we believe lies about God. So what are some of the lies that you believe about God right now? You don't think he's good? You don't think he has your best interest in mind? It's, it's those lies. Those, those are the seeds of idolatry. It's when you start to believe lies about him and who he is and his character, that's when the seeds of idolatry have been sown. And you will start seeking and searching after something or someone else. Because you don't think God is good. You're going to make your own way. You're going to find your own way. And therein you have idolatry. The next point is this. Idolatry is replacing the creator with the creation. Idolatry is to replace the creator with the creation. In this passage it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So idolatry is to take anything created that God has made and put it in place of, of who he is in our life and find ultimate meaning and satisfaction in that someone or that something. Now, in this passage, it's very interesting. I saw I had like a, a moment where I went, wow, I've never seen that before in this passage. And if you look at the passage, it says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. It says God gave them up to their sin. Why? Because of their idolatry. So listen to this. It says God handed them over to their sin. Why? Because they replaced 
the creator with the creation. Because of their idolatry, God then handed them over to their sin. Now, you might say, but that sounds fun. I mean, I wish God would hand me over to my sin and and just let me do what I want to do. That might sound appealing to us, but I want you to see this. Getting exactly what you want is never a good thing. Getting exactly what you want is never a good thing for you. And so put this next slide up on the, the screen because I want you to get this. I got this for the first time out of this passage this week, and it's this. God doesn't just give consequences for sin, but sin is a consequence of idolatry. You see this? You see this in the passage? Because of their idolatry, God gives them over to their sin. So it's not that, like most of us just think of like, I do bad stuff, and God slaps me on the hand. Yeah, that might happen sometimes, but what it's also saying is that your sin, when you go off your own way, your own pathway into sin, that is actually a consequence of the idols of your heart. God is saying, you have replaced me with the creation, and I'm going to hand you over now to your sin. And so getting the very thing that you want is very often the worst thing for you. I've got a daughter who's almost two. She'll be two this month. And my daughter is constantly just pushing the envelope. She loves to pull knives out of dishwashers. I mean, dishwashers open, and um, we don't have the kind. My nose is running like crazy. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to take care of business up here. Um, But uh, we don't have the kind where the knives stick up, where your kid could, like, fall and harpoon themselves. We don't have that kind. They're the kind that are, like, laying flat on the door of the dishwasher. But she'll walk over while the dishwasher's open. She'll pull out the sharpest, nastiest, gnarliest knife out of there and start running with it, right? And my first reaction is, of course, to chase her. And the worst part is that, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. There we go. I'm a little sick. Sorry. Um, So my first response is to chase her, which that makes her run even faster. So I have to kind of sneak up on her and just take it out of her hand. But she loves things that can kill her. She loves everything, everything that can kill her. She goes right for that. And, and so, so as a dad, my role is to protect her from that. But if, if I were to give her just what she wants at the age of two, she would eventually kill herself. She would. And, and God knows exactly what you and I need, and he knows that our wants, especially at your age, are very rarely what you actually need. And so be, be careful <laughs> what you wish for. Be careful that, that you don't make the same mistake and, and, and say to God, God, give me what I want because this is what I need to make me happy because God might do it. He might hand you over to your sin. And I would say it this way, that, that someone dying without Christ, and if they go to hell, hell is the final handover. Hell is God's way of saying, okay, you've, you want this? You want separation from me? You will have it for eternity. That's it. Hell is the final handover. Hell's the final handover. And so God doesn't just give consequences for sin, but sin is actually a consequence of worshiping idols, replacing the, crea- the creator with the creation. So uh, flip with me now all the way to 2 Kings. If you don't know where that is, then 
table of contents can be your resource. Now, I was reading this passage uh, this about a week ago in my um, just personal time in the Word and thought it would be a great one to teach for, for this, uh, this intro for idolatry. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24 to 28. I'll give you some time to get there. But here's some background on this passage. The time frame is 722 B.C., and there's an Assyrian king named Shalmaneser. Everyone say Shalmaneser. Shalmaneser. And he, he conquered Israel. Now, he conquered Israel for this reason, because Israel had turned to idols. So God was using Assyria to attack Israel to judge them for their idolatry. So as the Assyrian king, he didn't just conquer Israel and leave it at that. He actually conquered Israel. Then he sent the Israelites to a faraway place. He scattered them. Then the Assyrians moved in to, to inhabit their homes. So imagine if this happened in temple, right? Imagine if uh, we got invaded here by some foreign force, and, and they not only conquer here, but they send you guys to some godforsaken place like, I don't know, College Station. And... Uh, I meant to say I meant to say Amarillo, but either way, you get the idea. So they send you some faraway place, and and then they take and have they inhabit your house, your neighborhood, your your town, right? So this is what happened to Israel, and here's what happens now. So um, in verse 24, it says the king of Assyria, king of Assyria, king of Assyria. My mind is on food right now. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon. From Kutha, Ava, Hamath, Sepharim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. The king, he conquered, he scattered, and then they moved in. Look at verse 25. It says, when they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. These are the Assyrians he's talking about. So God, God sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off, because the people do not know what he requires. So here's what's happening. The lions are sent by the one true God to attack the Assyrians, but the Assyrians are trying to relate to the one true God in the same way they relate to their idols. And so their question is, what does their God require of us so that we can appease him and send these lions away? Because their idols, their false gods, required things of them, sacrifices to appease them. Look at verse 27. Then the king of Assyria gave this order, have one of the priests you took captive, so one of the Israelite priests, you took after from Samaria, go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. There's that phrase again. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So the king tells the Assyrians to go back, get an Israelite priest, 
so that priest can show them how to worship the one true God. Now, that'd be great except for the fact that they tried to worship God, but they mixed their religion in with their worship of God, which is the same thing you and I do today, is it not? We take Jesus and add him to the rest of our idolatry, and we mix it all together and think we're good. That's what these people did, and it wasn't true worship of God. But here's the point I want you to get from this passage, and it's this. Go to my next slide. Idols always make demands and require things of us. Their biggest question, the Assyrians, was, okay, find out what their God needs us to appease him with, and we'll appease him. We'll make sacrifices to appease him just to make him happy because that's what their, their idols required. And so the question is this morning, what does your idol demand of you? What does your idol require of you? What kind of sacrifices do you make in your life to appease the gods that you worship right now? What sacrifices do you make to, to please your idols in the way that these people were trying to please theirs? Idols make demands. Idols require things of us. And so I want you to contrast that now with Jesus, who Jesus is. Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. If you come to me, I will take the burden off your shoulders and I will give you rest. So if you're on this spiritual treadmill trying to please your idols, all this effort, all this work, I want you to know this morning that those idols, those things demand things of you. But what does Jesus demand? What does Jesus Christ demand? Nothing but his own blood. Jesus Christ demands nothing of us except that we believe and put our faith in him. And the truth that he is God, the truth that he died on the cross for our sins, the truth that his blood pays the price for our sins. Jesus requires nothing but his own blood. And if you put your faith and your trust in that, you are saved. You're saved. You're one of his. You're one of his. There's a quote that I want to show you. I'm going to watch a video here in a second. So look, go to this next slide. Counterfeit gods. If you fail them, they'll never forgive you. And if you get them, they'll never satisfy you. Jesus is the only God who will. I want you to watch this video and we'll have some discussion here at the end. Go ahead and watch this next video. You've got to click the top X that says close all before you play the video. You might say... I don't believe in God, but the Bible says not possible. See, everyone has a God, whether or not it's the God 
of the gospel. You might not believe in God, but everyone has that one thing that's king. Even the dictionary defines God as whatever we make supreme. Because it's a theme, it's a thread. You see it inside all human beings, the fact that we all worship. And no, it's not just about singing. Now, I know you like, Jeff, I don't worship. I put that on the shelf, but I say technically we all worship. We just worship ourselves. See, we all worship something. To an object, we're all liable. Ladies, to some, your boyfriend is your God, and Cosmo is your Bible. Yet, we mock and we laugh at the Israelites' golden calf, but we do the same thing right back. It just looks a little different than that. So, question, what's on your throne? See, what do you chase so that you don't feel alone? See, what defines you? What do you give ultimate worth? And what, if taken, would bring ultimate hurt? Now, see, that is your God. And all of us, we've sacrificed deep joy for shallow happiness. To be honest, we look like fools. We're like full-grown adults in the kiddie pool going, oh my goodness, guys, this is like so cool. Because we're slaves to our possessions. We're always craving something new. Reality check. If you can't give it up, you don't own it. It owns you. And that's why the Bible, it says we're spiritual prostitutes. In fact, it even says we're worse because at least prostitutes get paid for their works. All we get paid is a hearse. And that's why worship, it's not just behavior. It goes way into our core. So ask, what is your God? What do you bow down before? For example, some of us, we don't worship God, but we worship what he said. We got theology in our head, but in our hearts, poor, pitiful, naked, and dead. Or some of us worship in stadiums, or some of us worship in bars. Some of us worship our possessions, or some of us worship our cars. See, some of us worship science, or some of us worship the arts, but I don't care what clothes your idol's wearing, the disease is the heart. Or my favorite is those guys who say, Jeff, I'm a man because I'm in control. Or what about those guys who trade their wives for their jobs at work, give more time to their boss than their actual wives' needs or hurts. And ladies, ladies, no guy can love you more than Jesus already has. So stop putting your worth in Magic Mike. He's so much better than that. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, Jeff, are you saying that we should hate money, hate alcohol, and never have sex? No, but I'm saying God created those all to be enjoyed in their proper context. But I want to transition. I want to make a spiritual incision. Can we really say these things are the ultimate purpose of living? I mean, instead of worshiping the creator of you and I, we've all said, screw you, God, I'll take your stuff. But you can die. But that trade is terrible, trading God for man. It's like God offers us water. We say, but God, this is such good sand. I mean, am I the only one who's felt the gnawing within? Am I the only one who's felt the weight of my own sin? But see, here's what's unique. Go ahead and critique, but if you hear anything, hear this one thing that I speak. Where we exchange ourselves for God, thinking we could be Him. He exchanged Himself for us, absorbing all our sin. I mean, God literally put on flesh, and do you see how we treated Him, the ultimate war veteran, because He was killed for our freedom. Nonetheless, He was thinking of you and me with every whip that beat Him, knowing full well we'd still go, nah. I don't really need him. But like a father, he couldn't bear his children to not be free. So he thought up that tree, paid our fee for specks of dirt like you and me. So my plea is let him restore his proper place. I promise he loves you right now. Just trust in his grace because before I leave, I'll leave you with this. What are those other things took nails in their wrists? 
Or how about when's the last time money or sex forgave you? When's your boyfriend set you free from all you're enslaved to? See, what else died so that you could be made new? Or when's the last time the world promised satisfaction and actually came through? Let's move into some discussion. Go ahead and discuss.